We are back, Corbs and myself, recording for the first time in a month, and uh, we are more than excited to have a guy who is Canadian proud, uh, British Columbia proud, and Vancouver Island proud. An amazing story. Um, a guy who has stayed humble, um, worked hard, and you know treated people the right way, and has now found himself in a, in a very for Corbs and I, a super cool role. Um, a guy who I know I've crossed paths with a couple times, but uh, is more of a friend of a friend. And um, I know that once we connected and asked him to be on, he was super thrilled to be here. And uh, I know we're excited to have Mr. Al Whitley on today's episode. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. By, by the intro, uh, I thought maybe you guys were talking about somebody else and I was uh, getting excited to tune in, but then you said my name. But uh, no, I'm doing great. <laughs> We don't play no games and we uh, we don't downplay our guests. We know uh, your story is a great one and we know that you're a great human being. So um, there's no, uh, you know, we're not fluffing the pillows for no reason here, buddy. Um, <laughs> well, we appreciate it. We always like to jump in and just check in with, you know, I, I'm not sure. Were you actually in the bubble um, with the Mavs or? So, so I was not. Um, yeah. Okay. It was um, the list of people that went. It was so, you know, our traveling party is 55 plus. This was cut to 35, 17 players. And then it's just, okay, who's the essential? Can we get through a game? These people need to be there. And it's, you know, coaches, obviously trainers, strength coaches. And then uh, we only sent one person from our front office, which was our uh, assistant general manager, Keith Grant, who's been there since day one with the Mavericks, so 40 years now. Um, so he had the uh, luxury of going down there for 58 days in the bubble. Nice. So are you a little bit jealous? You know, it's uh, it's funny you say that, and I've, we'll probably get, kind of get into it as we go, but when I transitioned to this new role into the front office, you know, I'd been with the team for so many years, uh, you know, 17, and every day I was with them. And so when we traveled, I was with them every day at home and coach Carlisle, Rick Carlisle, when I got this job was super excited for me. Uh, I've worked with him this whole time in Dallas and we have a very great close relationship and, you know, super excited. But he said, Hey, not only are we going to miss you, but you're going to miss being around the team. And it, it resonated with me because you know, I'm just, I'm excited to get a new opportunity and a promotion. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I, I sure I will, but this is what I've always wanted to do. And sure enough, it's been the hardest transition is not being around those guys every day. So the, it, it, it's an adjustment for sure. But, um, yeah. you know, it's one that I'm, I'm getting slowly getting used to. Yeah. We've talked about that a lot on this show is people transitioning from you know, a form of basketball and being part of a team, which you were like one of the most important team members that weren't playing. Right. And then having that go away and then realizing like, damn, that was actually really fun. And that culture is so, you know, it's, it's addicting in a way, right. Just that locker room culture and being around it every day. Um, so that's an interesting perspective, right? How, yeah. how underrated and disrespected sometimes is Rick Carlisle, man. Like what an amazing coach that guy is. It must be a, a pleasure to watch him work on a daily basis. It, it's been unbelievable. I mean, he's, he's obviously a hall of fame coach. Um, there's not even no question about that. He won a championship as a player and now as a head coach. So he, he's amazing. He's a, he's a mastermind um, to be able to, um, you know, in this day and age, he's kind of grown up in all the genres and all the eras and you have to adjust to the player's, as every era, it's a different type of player, a different mentality. 
and you have to be able to adjust and relate to those guys. So for him to be able to do it for this extended amount of time, to be able to do it, I think he's going on his 12th or 13th year in Dallas is amazing. As we know, the coaching carousel is always changing, you know, three, four, five years. And usually you're, you, you lose your job and you're on to the next, but he, he's just been amazing to learn from. He's been an incredible mentor to me and uh, very grateful to, to have the opportunity to, you know, have a relationship with him. That's great. Um, so you're, so you were home then and, and how did you and your family, you know, you've got two daughters, a wife, and, you know, yeah. I think, uh, when COVID hit, it was, it was quite an experience for all of us. And I, you know, and I think, um, it made us slow down a little bit. And, and I think you also had to realize like, what is my home life like? Because I'm going to be stuck here for a little bit. So how did you guys get through it? You know, and, and how did you make sure that your wife didn't want to kill you on a daily basis like me? And, uh, and yeah. how did you guys manage to, to kind of work through it as a family and for yourself? Like what were your kind of personal goals and what were you doing to, to maintain sort of the quote unquote, everybody likes to use the word normal, right? For sure. Well, I think you, you nailed it on the head. My wife that, you know, did want her and does want to kill me. Um, you know, talking to somebody the other day, this is the most I've been home uh, over the last six months from probably the last t over 10 years combined, realistically. Yeah. I mean, when you work in professional sports, it's now a year round job and you're gone all the time, especially if you travel with the teams. So it was definitely, I know you had the great Johnny Lee on one of your, your pods earlier. Um, yes. It, it, it's a, it's a transition and you're not, when we're used to just being getting up and going every single day to not have that is a big time adjustment. And so for the first, you know, couple of weeks and not knowing what was going to happen is the season going to continue, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've never done it. So I was kind of like, wow, this is incredible. Um, you know, I'm, I get to see my kids have breakfast. I, you know, take them to school. Um, then they got, then they were obviously school was shut down. You know, we're having family dinners, we're, we're doing board games, you know, we're going on family walks and I'm thinking, I will never get this time back. You know, I'll never be able to do this again, probably. So I got to mm -hmm. take, I got to make the most of it because it was hard when you're not, when you're up and, and I'm always, Hey, what, do, what can I be doing now? Where can I go? And, and you don't have that. You're kind of like, okay, you got to realign what, you know, and adjust your priorities. So done a lot of reading, um, just trying to see the positive in such a crazy world we're living in right now. Um, you know, trying to, trying to improve my leadership skills. I'm just, I'm trying to be there for my wife and kids. Um, you know, I'm just trying to help out where we can in the community in general. So, uh, it's been an adjustment. I think every morning now, you know, when we get up, I work from home, it's zoom calls, it's conference calls, it's all that. And, and, and every morning I, I'm, I'm an early riser, no matter what. And so every morning my wife gets up and she sees me on my computer and she's like, Oh, you're here again today. <laughs> and you know, the first month or two, it was like, Oh, this is so great. You're home. But you know, we've, uh, no, we've had a blast. We've, we've made some memories. Um, you know, you miss birthdays, you miss Christmases when you travel with a team. And so to be able to make up for some of that lost time, it's impossible to ever make up for it, but it, it, it's been good. It, it's taught me that, life was so hectic that it, it's, it's okay to, to take a step back and, and slow down a little bit, kind of like you were mentioning earlier. And that was really, really hard for me to do before COVID and kind of prioritize what's really important here. And I, I, I love the game of basketball. Uh, it is an incredible passion of mine. I bleed Maverick blue. 
but at the end of the day, it's, it's the, the real things like what's going on in the world. Your, how's your family doing? Like taking care of the small things that is most important. So it's been good for me in that regard to take a, a small step back and, you know, and slow down a little bit because, yeah. you know, life is, is pretty hectic and fast paced. Yeah, that's great reflection. And I think the big challenge, I'm kind of in the same space. And now that we're back in school, our kids, they alternate days and like just the joy I feel just to be back in the routine, but then mm -hmm. reminding myself in six months or, you know, if, if basketball season does happen this year and I get into coaching again, um, like remind myself of that, what you were just talking about, right? Getting back to that the home base, right? The relationships sure. I have with my family, my friends and my loved ones and, and finding those moments where, okay, I'm getting hectic. Okay. What's, what's important. And I think that's going to be, you know, key for a lot of us. So I agree. glad to hear, yeah. glad to hear you guys have, uh, have, have done okay. And an interesting perspective as well. So, you know, Johnny mentioned, like we were texting with him the other day, you know, I just said, oh, sorry about the loss and stuff. And he goes from being home with COVID and then is literally gone a hundred days in a row, right? It's like, unbelievable. Yeah. doesn't get yeah. to come home for just a couple of days, you know? So it's like the things that everyone's going through and how we're all managing. And I think we've all got to, you know, just be vulnerable and, and, and be okay to not have some good days and, and really enjoy the good, um, you know, the good days when they do come. Right. So for sure. Thanks for 100%. That. Yeah. yeah, of course. Let's just jump into it, man. Talk to us about, you know, I'm not sure if you know, but uh, I am a for former Willows Elementary uh, wow. uh, student myself. Yeah, I, my, I bro my brother. That. Yeah, my brother is three years. He would have been the same age as you guys. You guys are 90. Are you 92? I'm 92. Right? Yeah. Yeah so, we, yeah. yeah. so we were there. My dad, but my dad was the store manager of Woodward's. Um, no way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Small yeah. World. And there so we, I've been there many yeah, times. We, yeah, we lived on Dufferin Street and uh, actually a block and a bit down from from the Nash family and right by the uplands there. And but then we yeah. had to move over. Yeah, we had to move over to this way when I was in like grade five. So um, I have a soft spot for the island. Yeah. And my parents ended the up moving Islanders, back there. Yeah, That's yeah, fantastic. yeah, 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 yeah. My brother's actually he's moved back there now. Um, he lives in uh, it's an area called Broadmead. Um, yeah, so, you know, know exactly. yeah, we get to go back, which I, which I enjoy. So just talk about life growing up there. Um, and, and how sports started to come in for you, uh, basketball somehow ends up being your passion, you know, much like us, I still don't know how to skate to this day, but were you, were you a big <laughs> sports guy? Were you, did you play everything and, and who were the people early on? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, um, so originally just to kind of backtrack a little bit, I was born in Ontario, just about two and a half hours outside of Toronto in a okay. small town called Belleville. And so that's originally where my whole family's from. At the age of three, my family moved out to Victoria. Um, and so I, I grew up on the island um, until I went away to college. And yeah, I grew up playing everything. Um, ba uh, basketball a little bit later on, but lacrosse, soccer. Um, I tried hockey like every you know Canadian kid thinks he can play. And, you know, they kept on like, putting me in goal and I kept on asking my dad I'm like dad why do they keep putting me in goal and he's just like yeah let's um maybe pick up a basketball and see how you do on that sport <laughs> yeah um so I, I wasn't the greatest skater but I loved hockey uh played a little bit of baseball but it really wasn't it was mostly soccer uh lacrosse basketball volleyball um 
And as you grow up, you just meet a group of friends. And we, you know, Steve Nash talks about this all the time is, you know, that guy was incredible at every sport. And it was actually annoying how good he was. But we all kind of got to the eighth grade. Um, originally, I went to Fairburn Elementary, and then we all went to Arbutus, and then I ended up going on to Mount Doug Secondary. But in the eighth grade, we all kind of met and uh, went to school together, Arbutus, and we just all started playing basketball, and we all just loved it. And we played other sports, but that was where the real bond, the love of the game, um, you know, we had two great coaches in, in Dave Thompson and Mike Sheffer that really uh, helped all of us in all of our careers to this day. We're still really close to both those guys and they were incredible mentors to us. And that's kind of how it all started. And then it was just, you know, we had, it didn't matter if it was raining, snowing, whatever, we'd be out in, in my driveway or somebody or Steve's backyard, he, you know, he lived behind a, behind a school and we would just be playing and it would be like six, seven hours in a row. It didn't matter. We just love the game of basketball and kind of that's where the love um, started early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so would Mount Doug have just been 11, 12 at that time? Like it wasn't it would, eight through 12. It was. Yeah, right. No, it was 11. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you went to middle and then, you know, uh, I've always wanted to ask you this. Were you choked when Steve decided to leave? Uh, I wasn't choked. Um, yeah. I, you know, there was, there was a big thought process of me going with them and Jamie yeah. Miller was our other good friend. You know, we had a really good team on our Arbutus. I Miller think we, could hoop too. Yeah. Oh, he could hoop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we would have done really well at Mount Doug. I think we would have been there too. It was a great, it was a great group of guys. And, you know, I had thoughts of going as well. It just wasn't the right timing for my family and for other reasons. But, mm -hmm. you know, if I look back on it now, um, man, it, I mean, it's, you know, it ended up getting me a college scholarship. I mean, you could have an incredible game, but when you're playing beside Steve every night, uh, I mean, he's just, he was that dominant. So it actually probably helped me get, you know, a college scholarship because, you know, now I was getting a little bit more attention than I probably deserved. And, uh, I kind of got the ball rolling there, but you know, I wasn't choked. I still hung out with those guys all the time. People thought I went to SMU because I was always at their, you know, house parties and just hanging with the guys because we have a huge group of friends that we already knew that went to SMU and Mount Doug. And so we were all just one, one big group, uh, until we got on the basketball court and then we had to, <laughs> we had to square off. It didn't go so well for the Mount Duggars, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we gave it a shot. Yeah. You, you just happened to run into, I mean, I'm sure you did well on the, with the rest of the island, and I'm not sure what Oak Bay was like at that time, but, you know, SMU is probably one of the top five greatest high school teams ever that oh, year, right? So Incredible. Um, and, but and, you know. How I, were those games? I mean, I, were, were the, were the crowds good? Was it a bit of a rivalry? Was it fun? Like, talk about playing ball fun. on the island there. I think the island is unique and special in the sense, like, you've got, You've got guys like the Hides, the Hide Lays that have just been there and, and so many yeah. people that have put so much time in. And it's funny, I always give them a hard time because when you make the B season, you know, we will take time to either have a coffee or go watch a game. And it's like they're always they compete against each other. But when you get off the rock, it's like they support each other. Right. That's, sure, you know, they want to sure. kick each other's ass during league. But then so yeah. just talk about what it was like and the rivalries and how how a high school ball was on the island. I mean, it was, it was incredible. I mean, back then it was an incredible atmosphere. We had SMU obviously with, with Nashi and Milan Uzalak and all those guys, incredible Jamie Miller, Belmont with Amrit Lolly and Keith Gibson. Um, Oak Bay had some really good players. So it was, uh, it was competitive. Um, you know, it was kind of competitive all through junior high and then on, and it, it kept on going through high school. So 
you know, we uh, we ended up knocking off Belmont and got to the city finals against SMU. And I think it was fairly close for the first half. And then Mr. Nash took over and it was uh, it was a tough rest of the night for us. But no, it was great. Great memories. Um, you know, it was uh, incredible back then. Great times. It was only one berth off the island then, hey? Yeah. To get to, it was yeah. tough. Yeah. Really tough. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think it was the same thing, kind of North Shore, House Sound. There were years where they had three teams, you know, in the top 10, and there was there was a pocket of time where it was one berth. It's like, you know, there's some good teams that aren't making it. 92, oh. you talk about 92, the kind of the early 90s, those were some years where there were some serious hoopers coming out of British Columbia, you know, and you know, all the way up to Alberni. Like, would the Seradic brothers have been Pretty around then? The Seradic twins were incredible. Yeah. I mean, these guys were monsters, yeah. at, you know, in high school, 6'4". <laughs> they looked like they were... 23 years old i'm like we got to play these guys tonight where yeah. did they come from but yeah no they were incredible as well so the yeah. island was stacked um i yeah. mean the lower main line was stacked too don't get me wrong but there was some really good ball back then uh in the early 90s yeah and then when does you mentioned you go and play post-secondary to unb of all places and you know clint hamilton yeah. the, the the ad now at vic great guy and what, what point yeah. you're, you're you're competing with all these great guys and you have this constant competition with people what at what point in your mind do you think i i really want to pursue this at the next level or did someone kind of just come to you and say hey i'd really like to have you talk a little bit about that and then how do you make it from you know the southern island to all the way out to unb it's because that's an interesting part to your journey yeah it is um you know i was recruited by uh probably four or five schools and you know, I was on the provincial teams in the summer. Um, so we had a kind of group of guys there that were all going to, were good enough to play post-secondary. And I actually was going, was going to SFU or uh, SFU. Yeah. With Jay Triano. And, um, uh, you know, there was a, it was a big recruitment year. There was a lot of guys going there and, and a lot of guys in my position. And mm -hmm. I still was looking forward to going and, and competing and I had just got to know Clint really well, obviously being on the island. I lived in the UVic gym at games, working out, whatever. And he was kind of a player coach role there. And kind of late in, later in the summer, he gets the job. And I just remember him coming over to my house and sitting down in my living room with my parents and saying, hey, I'm asking you to take a leap of faith. You know, I... Uh, uh, I believe in you. I love your toughness, blah, 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 blah. And he, and he sold me and it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, you know, I was 17 years old when I went out across the, I, I was like, where, where's New Brunswick? <laughs> I wasn't paying attention in geography class there. How far is it away? Um, it's four and a half hour time zone. I didn't know, you know, uh, but it was one of the like best things I've did. I've ever done it. Uh, I grew up real quick. Um, yeah. some of the greatest people I've ever met to this day are, are, are dear friends of mine still what just the maritimes people are you know incredibly credible credible people and, and clint was great for me he um you know i spent two years out there my second year i ended up getting multiple uh stress fractures and i had to take some time off for my legs to heal and i just uh decided to come back home and finish off my degree at sfu and i actually didn't end up playing again um but those two years i spent with him were um invaluable in my development and you know kind of to where i am today he's he was a huge part of that that's awesome um and we're talking about a time where you know i'm 95 we're only three years apart but you know you're not hopping on google to find out what unb can offer you and, no. and what you run because like right you're 
literally packing a bag and when that plane lands you're just like okay here we go right yeah he didn't he didn't in in his in his pitch to myself and my family he didn't mention it would be minus 30 and five feet of snow six out of the eight months that part he left out (laughs) which i I find kind of amusing to this day but no it was great i loved every minute of it um and I would do it again. Uh, and I just wish I, you know, my body could have been a little bit better and, um, and I would have played longer, but, uh, it was incredible. Great experience. Yeah. That's great. And it's funny too, when you, you know, you talk about a lot of life is a a lot of thing comes with timing, right? Relationships and timing. And it's like, well, what if you do finish those five years and you don't come back to SFU and things go, you know, you just never know. Right. So it's kind of like, you got to let go a little bit and go, yeah, you know, that was tough to do, but you made the right choice because you're super content with where you are and how things have played out. Right. So it's, For you sure. just never know. And I think it's, yeah. uh, yeah. And to, to go all that way at that age, it's a tough thing to do. And you, and you grow, like you mentioned, you grow up quick, right. And, uh, so many outside of basketball, the lessons that you learned, probably you're, you you're still using to this day without even knowing it. Right. For sure. I, I agree a hundred percent. It was, uh, you know, it was, there was, I was there, I remember being there my first, within my first month and calling home going, what did I do? Like, I'm so homesick right now. Um, and I actually went out there with Keith Gibson, uh, who played at Belmont big man, about six, 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 seven. We couldn't stand playing against each other. We hated each other on the court. He ended up being my roommate. And, you know, to this day, we're, we're still best of friends, um, so it, it was a, it was a growing experience. Um, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about, you know, growing up and, uh, like I said, I wouldn't have trade, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was great. That's great, man. Um, and, uh, yeah, actually I remember, I think, uh, the, if you remember the names, Brian, Brian scales ended up out there, Simon or you, yeah, UNB. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So the, you remember all those he, guys. you know, yeah, Clint ended up doing a, a, a you know a good job out there, and he's just a great dude. Um, so let's just how, how in the world like share this part? How in the world do the Dallas Mavericks all of a sudden start to uh, be a part of your life, and where does that go after you finish your you know your degree at Simon Fraser? For sure. So yeah, I went back uh, to Simon Fraser, got my degree, and then kind of just bounced around. What am I going to do? Lived in Vancouver for a few years. Lived in False Creek. Now that I'm back on the West Coast, gave me an opportunity to go down to California, Santa Clara, and, and you know, see some college games, and just you really, you know, get a chance to support Steve um, and, and what he was doing. And but but kind of like, what am I going to do, and where am I going to go? And we actually had um, you know friends from the island that did business in Arizona, and I went down there and thought I was going to get into real estate and just, you know, from an early, early age, um, you know, growing up right above Seattle, I always loved the, the United States of America. I just, you know, I'm a very, very proud Canadian and always will be. But um, there's something about the U.S. from an early age that just that just dominated my focus. And so when every time we got to go down there, we didn't go very often. I was just super excited and. So I knew I wanted to well, live probably do down think? in the States. What's what that? do you think it was? What do you think it was that was so appealing to you? Was it sports? Like how they, how they treated sports oh, for, or was it more than that? Yeah, for sure. I think the passion, I think, I think it was driving on the, on the, on the small roads going through Washington state before you get on I five, uh, I five and you see all the American flags on the front doorsteps, just like the passion they had for their country. It was, 
being able to go down there and buy in a set of Jordans, before, you know, because you know they weren't going to be released in Canada for like six months. It just like, and I'm when I'm talking, not, I'm as young. I'm talking like between six and twelve years old. Things like mm -hmm. that that really um, resonated with me for some reason. Just the land of an op of opportunity. So I always kind of had a focus on if I could ever find a way to live down here, um, I would try and take advantage of it. Our friends had a business. Um, I was back and forth trying to make it happen, but I just couldn't get a working visa. It just wasn't going to, you know, I've been down there, I think 18 months and, you know, you got no medical, you're, you know, you're trying to work and it's just not, it wasn't an ideal situation. So I was actually um, heading back to, to Vancouver, probably would have uh, stayed in Vancouver and just uh, get a job and go from there. And right around this time, it's 99 and um, Mark Cuban just bought the Mavericks, 99-2000. And so I remember being in Phoenix, and um, and the Mavericks are there, and they're about to play the Suns the next night. So I go out with Steve, and he's like, hey, our new owner, who Mark would have been 40 at the time, it's like, hey, he's coming out. You're going to love him. You guys are going to – you guys uh, are like two peas in a pod. And I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? Like – and we went out, we just hit it off. There's nobody like me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Um, <laughs> and so we went out, we sat at dinner together. We just kind of struck up conversation and we just had, we, we, we started to develop a relationship and then we, we, we kept in touch over time. And, you know, so Steve opened the door really and a month or two goes by and we're uh, back in Phoenix or whatever, we're having dinner and Mark's just like, hey, what are you, what are you up to? What are you doing? And I you know, Hey, I'm, I actually got a, I think I'm moving back to Canada. I can't get a, a visa and this and that. He goes, do you want to live down here? I said, I would, I would do anything to live down here. He goes, well, why don't you come work for me? And it, it sounds good when you're having a couple of beers and you're, um, you know, out having some fun, but did I really think he was serious? I didn't know. We, you know, we, we definitely kept in touch and talked and we're developing a relationship, but I didn't know he was that serious. He's like, come work for the maps. And I was just like, you gotta be kidding me. And sure enough, um, he hired, you know, about a week later, I hear from his lawyer and he's, they're trying to get me a working visa. And that's legitimately like how it started. Um, I was going back to Canada and just not knowing what I was going to do to now, there's a chance I'm moving to Dallas and uh, and to come work for the Mavericks. And oh, by Amazing. the way, one of my best friends is their starting point guard. I mean, it was just, it was, uh, you know, it kind of just a pinch me opportunity that I didn't really know. It was it was very surreal. I didn't know if it was real or not. And so yeah. that's really how the ball got, got rolling. You literally don't ever need to buy a lotto ticket, hey? It's just like you must wake up every <laughs> no. day and just be like, holy for smokes, sure. man. Yeah. I, I literally, like, I literally... Sorry, go ahead. No, you know, you go ahead. No, I'm just saying. I, I literally try not to take every, you know, a, a single day for granted. I'm, I'm uh, extremely lucky to be where I'm at. Obviously, I've been here. This is my 20th season with the Mavericks, so obviously, I, hopefully, I'm doing something right. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I got, uh, I'm a product of opportunity, right? And I just took advantage of the opportunity, and hopefully, uh, it continues to pay off. Good Lad Clothing is the most unique shopping experience in the Lower Mainland. The owner, Shane Meyer, has worked hard to create a personal experience, offering clothing, specialized coffee, haircuts, and beard trims. 
Located in Lower Lonsdale at 221 West Esplanade in North Vancouver, seconds from the C-Bus. If you are unable to make it to the store, you can shop online at shopthefoldgroup.com. And oh yeah, in store, if you mention a hoops journey, you'll receive 15% off anything store-wide. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Parkside Brewery. Located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row, Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, then hit any government retail store and try the Don Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A Hoops Journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner, Sam Payne's streaky jump shot. We hope to see you Parkside. Yeah, and and I think there's some great takeaways there, and you know the thing that we've really loved about this podcast and and what it's morphed into the you know the phrase a hoops journey. It's not just the basketball side of it; it's all the other stuff. And I think just you know the the, the thing about relationships and how you treat people, right? So yeah, you, you know Steve ends up being <laughs> one of the greatest point guards ever, but like <laughs> if you're if you're an ass, then he probably doesn't want to be buddies with you, but then you carry on your relationship and he's still confident enough to be like, Hey, you're coming out for a bite to eat with who ends up being friggin' Mark Cuban of all people. Right. So I think yeah. there's something to be said about who you are as a person. Cause he's not sitting there worried that like, you know, you're going to go off the handle or say something inappropriate. You kind of know your role sure. in that scenario. And then it grows and morphs from there. Right. Like there's just so many, you know, we always try to tell the kids here, like don't burn bridges, treat people well. And cause For I think sure. it comes, comes full circle. Right. And it's such an interesting part to your story and how these little scenarios pop up for people. Um, there's no, I don't think it's a surprise that that happens for you, you know? Well, I, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, that's how I try. And my parents were, were really big on, on growing up. Hey, you treat everybody the same with respect. Um, and, and, you know, this business and as I got into it and, and just in life in general, it's all about relationships, and especially, you know, it's not just pro sports, but I'm just using that as an example, because that's what I'm in is it's all about relationships, how you treat people, uh, you know, how authentic you are. And so, I, I, you know, I kind of try and live by that. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's helped me along the way. And I'm and uh, but I, I truly believe in that type of stuff that uh, whether it's the cleaning crew at the end of the night or our owner walking through the locker room, you don't need there's, there's no you don't need to treat them differently. Um, they're all people. They're all we're all working for the same goals and we're all on the same team and and they should be treated that way. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And when you think about too, which we'll get into is, you know, you starting out being like an equipment guy where, yeah. you know, sometimes yep. in the wrong cultures, but people might think that they're maybe higher on the hierarchy, you know what I mean? And then and, and just for sure, you know, learning and you think of the Mavericks and the people that you've named, you know, like the Mark Cubans, the Dirks, the Carlisles, yourself, the people who they've never wanted to leave. There is something, there's something magical that we don't get to experience about the Mavericks, but it's clear because people stay like I, I got to know Casey Smith, the trainer, uh, through a friend. So 
you know, we did a couple of the Seattle roadies and brought a 18 of Kokanee across the border and, you know, yes. and, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Um, but just when you think about the people that have stayed for so long and never wanted to leave, it's like, there's some sort of special sauce that's happening there. Right. And, and, um, that's good stuff. And so talk about that. You, you get the job with the Mavericks and I personally, from a player perspective, view you as probably one of the most important people in the locker room and probably the one guy or two, one of maybe two or three people that I really want to have a good relationship with. Um, and just talk about how that was and what you used from, cause you spent your whole life in a locker room or around people that were interested in sports. So did it seem like an easy transition for you? Was it smooth? And obviously outside of the new things that came with the job and the learning experience, but in terms of, was it just fun to jump back right into sport and being part of a team culture again? For sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Funny story though. My first year with the Mavericks, I, I worked in marketing. No way. So the, yeah. So when, when Mark said, Hey, what do you want to do? You know, it's like you grew up as a kid and you dream of, Hey, one day I'd like, you know, I like to play, I dream of playing in the NBA or make it to the NBA. And then, you know, you realize, okay, you're not, you're not, that's not going to happen. You got to find another way to get there. Right. And so I did probably just in a dream scenario. And then all of a sudden it's presented to me and they're like, you know, what do you want, what do you, what do you want to do? What department do you want to work in? And I had no idea. I was just kind of like, you know, uh, marketing. And sure enough, my first year was in marketing. And my first day with the Mavericks was actually um, September 10th, 2001. So the day before 9-11. And wow. the crazy thing about that is I, it took nine months to get my working visa, right? Even with this billionaire owner and his legal team, it still took nine months where I didn't even know if it was ever going to happen. And I finally get the, the, the thing, you got your visa, you know, two weeks before September 10th, I go down there and it was a very frustrating nine months to wait and not know, you know, certainty of what's the direction of my life going. And next thing you know, if it had been any later, I probably would have never have got it. Right. Cause once, once nine 11 happened, they shut everything yeah. down. Yeah. So the timing was frustrating, but it ended up being, it was incredible. So I get down there, I started marketing second day on the job. Everybody's surrounded by the TVs. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? I remember my mom calling that night saying, hey, did you make the right decision moving down there? And I'm just like, yeah, I, I don't know. Where I, you know, I hope so. So <laughs> worked my first year in marketing, um, literally the first one in the office and the last one to leave every day. This is the business side. Um, volunteered to do hoop camps on the weekends where I would transport. Had, the Mavs had um, portable uh, hoops. And so I was in charge of the team that would move from one school to where, you know, camp ended Friday another camp was start starting Monday at a different school. I, I didn't, I wasn't, I definitely shouldn't have been driving the truck I was driving because I wasn't light. It was this massive like rig. I'm like, I'm going to kill somebody here. Um, had no idea. There was no GPS or navigation 2001 where I'm driving around, you know, Dallas. And if you've been down here, it's a big city no idea where I'm going and it's a hundred and you know, 10 degrees out every day. So just doing anything and everything I could just to like, Hey, I'm, you know, I know if, if you didn't know that I grew up with Steve, I didn't tell anybody. Cause 
you know, yeah. when I made the decision to go down there, this was a career decision that I was going to, uh, and I appreciate the opportunity. And of course, obviously he opened the door and helped with Mark, but at the end of the day, I was going down there to prove myself and this was going to uh, try to make this a career. So I did anything and everything that people asked. Um, I was all over the place. And at the end of my first year, Donnie Nelson, who's our uh, president of basketball operations and our general manager, um, came to me and said, Hey, Al, are you a, are you a business guy or are you a team guy? And I'm a, I just looked at him and I was like, Donnie, I'm a team guy. I'll do whatever you guys need. And he's like, perfect. I may have a position for you. And then ended up being the assistant equipment manager. You know, I, I mean, I played basketball my whole life, but I didn't know what, you know, equipment, gun case shoes or whatever. Anyway, I jumped right into it and just attacked it like everything else. And after two years of that, I was uh, promoted to the head guy and, and had that role and kind of director of team operations for, you know, 15 years and until uh, two years ago when I got promoted to the front office. But uh, those guys are, are unbelievably important. It, it's a job that's in any team, in any pro sport. Um, they're, the, they're one of the focal points. You know, they're the heartbeat of the locker room and of a team. They're the guys that are around the players the most. And so it was invaluable to me because I'm, I'm put in a, in a situation, uh, I'm in all the team meetings, um, I'm around the guys all the time. I'm learning and understanding what makes these guys tick, their mentality. Um, you know, I'm, I, I, and so I'm training on the job because I'm always preparing for what's next. And so it was an incredible opportunity for me, but those guys do so much. Um, you may have a certain title, but you're helping out everywhere. They're extremely good guys to know. They're helping walk players off the edge after a bad game, or maybe you're mad at the coach about something. They're an ear to talk to where guys trust and respect them. And so, um, you know, the trainers and the equipment guys are just crucial um, really to any team success. Obviously what the guys do on the court is most important and, and, um, but you got to have a great support system to be there for those guys. So all they need to worry about is playing hoops and, you know, kind of the support system supports and takes care of the rest. Get a, get a cold kokanee for the matrix after the game. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or two. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And like, yeah, I just, I could listen to this stuff all day. I'm just huge on leadership and people and, man, you've got it. Like, this is just great. Um, so how is it working for, was it working for the maps? Like the ins and outs, you get into the routine and you start to travel and, uh, like you also, you know, during the games, I'm assuming there's things that you got to do and always see on the end, you know, on the floor, yeah. but like you get to watch the greatest athletes in the world and maybe Quite possibly, I would argue uh, he's one of my favorite players all time, one of the best power forwards to ever play basketball and then develop a relationship with him. Like, like what a cool experience. It's literally full circle. It's come back for you from, you know, the snowy, rainy courts of playing three on three with your buddies and Vic to being completely engulfed with basketball all, you know, all together again. Like what a what an amazing way the world works, right? Yeah, I, you know, just uh, you just describing that actually just gave me goosebumps. And, you know, it's, again, it's super surreal. I, I try not to take any day for granted. These guys have, you know, are now become some of my best friends, you know, Dirk and Steve, Michael Finley, Mark Cuban. Those guys are all at my wedding. Um, 
you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a fairy tale kind of situation that I don't take for granted. Um, being around those guys, I mean, you just get to appreciate what it takes to be great, mm. you know, because, mm. because it is a daily, it's not, it's not a, you know, let's do four days here and take a day or two off. It's every day. And the commitment that those guys had, especially Steven Dirk, Jason Kidd, I mean, there's a reason these guys are in the hall of fame. Um, mm. and it's because they just, their attention to detail, um, their dedication to the gym and literally it's not just a soundbite when Steve Nash said his whole career, every day I went to the gym, I was just trying to get a little bit better. It sounds great. And every player can say that. And that's great. He literally tried to get a little bit better every time. And did he get better every time? I don't know, but maybe he got better 80% of the time, which is a lot more than most guys. So these guys just, it's, it's dedicating their lives to, to their craft and it's not easy to do it's it's diet and nutrition it's you know taking a hit on your personal life because you you gotta train you gotta basketball i mean it's it's 24 7 if you want to be great and Mm -hmm. so to be around that greatness every day um i mean i was a kid in the candy store i still am i mean i don't know how many (laughs) thousands and thousands of times i've seen dirk um, do, you know, do his routine with his coach Holger and that last night that he, of his last game in Dallas, when he did it. And I, yeah. and I specifically went down into the practice gym to see it one more time. I had tears in my eyes. I was just like, yeah. this is, you know, I'm never going to get to see this again. And, uh, it just brought back so many memories. So, but the, you know, the, just to be around everybody from our, from our owner, Mark Cuban, Mm-hmm. to our president, to coach Carlisle, our leadership is, is exceptional. And, um, and not only, it's not only what we're doing on the court, it's what we're doing in the community, which I think yeah. is one of the reasons I'm most proud because we are super active in our community, trying to help out, especially now. And with everything that's going on in today's, today's world and just how can we help people and what can we do, uh, to make a difference. So that's, that's really, really, um, positive stuff and why I, I love working for the Mavericks. One of many, many reasons, but they, um, it's, it's been great. Cool, man. And I, there's, I definitely want to touch on a couple of things that, um, I think you're personally prideful for you. So I'd like to get into that as well. Cause I think that's cool. Um, can we just talk quickly how good Michael Finley was like, is he not slept uh, on? Like that guy was an absolute beast, man beast and and again and routine orientated big time like you know half the players today it you you have to have a routine right this is something you're doing every day you know the Mm -hmm. greatest you know rest in peace kobe bryant i mean his his routine and his regimen was unparalleled and and finn had that and he helped dirk and steve with that and so it just kind of trickles down, but he was so good. So athletic, uh, you know, he's incredible. And, um, you know, he's now part of our front office. He's the, uh, vice president of basketball operations for the Mavericks get to work with him daily. We've had a, a great long friendship for over 20 years. So now to be able to, um, you know, be in the front office with him and run ideas through him and, and conversations and scouting meetings and stuff is, uh, again, it's a, it's a candy store type of deal for me. And just, uh, it's incredible. But I think it's cool too, that you've learned and through your time 
you've seen these guys do it and you are talking like them now. You're attacking each day. So you've learned that and now you take that into your approach into life. And I think that's huge is the ability to just learn from others. Yeah, they happen to be NBA players, but you know, you could have just been sitting there and been like, well, I'm the equipment manager and I'm just going to do my thing. Yeah. And But you talked about volunteering. You talked about stepping out of your comfort zone, driving around Dallas and having no clue, and then being able to use that and translate into your life and continuing to push and move forward. You know, I think there's a reason someone in the organization comes to you and says, hey, let's talk about a, a switch for you and, and maybe move you up the ladder or maybe it's a lateral move, but whatever, a different role for you because they see value in in your hard work, right? So it's it's the same but different, if that makes sense. No, for sure. And, and and what I really tried to do is, you know, again, my role was the head equipment manager and, and with that comes a ton of responsibility. But what I think was, like I said earlier, always trying to get to the next level or be prepared for my next opportunity um, and having the confidence that one day it would come. And so, yes, you saw me sitting courtside, right? And I get to watch the greatest athletes in the world go up and down and do all this stuff. But I'm also, when I was doing that as the equipment manager, I was in my head, I was scouting. I'm scouting players, their tendencies, who's where, how does he, how do they defend the pick and roll, making notes after the game that, that, you know, to this day, I still have that, that uh, nobody knew I was doing. I was in our general manager's office five times a week, just, uh, you know, I'd known them for years, but just to keep the connection, I was, I was with the trainers in the, in their domain with the players and learning about injuries and prevention and what's the latest and greatest medical technology that I may need to know about. I was in the strength room. So I was everywhere preparing myself for when this opportunity came and I, you know, whether or not it was going to come, I, I, I joke around in my bio every year for the first 17 years I was with the Mavericks at the end of my bio, it always said future aspirations, you know, for Al or, or to be in the front office one day. And I told Mark when he promoted me, I'm like, I guess you finally read my bio. It only took 17 years. Right. <laughs> and, um, but you know, I just, when the opportunity came, I wanted to be prepared. So I've been learning the business, learning all parts of the business, um, from day one. And I, you know, I know the inside operation of a team and schedule and hotels and travel and game plans and people's personalities. And you just kind of piecing it all together for one day. If I get an opportunity, which I am now in running our G league team, um, I can put all that stuff to use because I've been preparing for it for the last 10 plus years. Yeah, that's great. I just, man, <laughs> I will goosebumps. Like, um, you're making me feel guilty about my life, but we, ha- my oh, wife don't. Have an almost, we have an almost four year old. And so I read articles on parenting and stuff, not try to cloud my brain too much, but one hit me the other day. It was like, raise a kid to be a why. If your kid is the why, like some days on the drive to daycare, he asks why like 305 times, right? It's like an yeah. 11 minute. <laughs> But the, but the article basically said, like, you want your kid to be a why person in it. And I'm thinking of you and you're that why person and and thinking about as adults, you know, why again, why is it that we kind of get complacent and get ourselves and just comfortable? Right. And it's OK to be uncomfortable to continue to ask questions, to ask why, to look into other things. And and so important for people, no matter what they choose to do, to, to kind of take some notes off of what you're saying in terms of continue to ask those questions, learn, grow, growth mindset, because you never know what might come up. So that's like, 
that's amazing stuff. Thank you for sharing all that. I think there's so much power in what you're saying. Maybe you don't even realize it. It's great. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just, it's okay to be uncomfortable. Um, uncomfortable Mm -hmm. creates growth, right? And you know, Mm -hmm. not everybody enjoys being uncomfortable and getting out of your, your, your comfort zone. It's not easy. And so, but that's where your most growth happens. And so, you know, I went from being the equipment guy and now I'm up, uh, giving speeches and stuff, uh, in front of people. And I'm not, I I haven't, I'm, I think everybody who knows me knows I'm not a shy guy, but it wasn't easy getting up in front of a couple hundred people at first and playing this role as an executive. And, you know, I just kind of started it and I'm just learning it. And, but I gotta, you know, I gotta make it seem like I've been doing this for 10 years. And so, you know, it's, it's, um, there was some uncomfortableness there and it's something you get, get over and you grow from. And that's what I try and challenge myself, uh, you know, all the time. Hey, we get, you know, you gotta get, we gotta get better. There's everybody can, can get better at something. And especially, you know, with my staff, with our G league staff, you know, I'm trying to develop them too. So they get, they get their, um, opportunity for their next level job, whatever it is, whether it's with us or somebody else. So development is huge. And so I got to, you know, make sure I, I continue to, to evolve and develop so I can help them out. That's yeah. kind of how I see it. It's cool, man. Coach Triano said something similar. He said, uh, Jay he said, fake it till you make it right. Like for sure, just find your <laughs> way through it. And then eventually you'll feel comfortable enough and no one needs to know that you're faking it until you get comfortable enough to actually make it right. So exactly. Awesome. It's true though. You know, it's, yeah. it, it's true. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, before we get into your, you know, I think a couple of, I, you can explain when, if they feel like notches for you, but just, you know, knowing about you and reading your bio and stuff and talking about becoming, you know, the president of the, uh, you know, the managers association and then the foundation, I'd like to touch on that, but just sure. answer me one question. For the, I think the genuine attraction as a fan I've had towards Dirk is that, you know, it's hard. The media can do things and they make you think different ways. And I think his, lack of social media presence makes it easier but also is he as cool and great of a human being as he comes across like i feel like i know the answer to this but like he just seems like maybe the most authentic genuine dude you would ever know and it must have been so cool to to work with him you 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 just hit it on the head he's the most authentic and genuine i mean he is who he is he's not he's not trying to be anybody else he is you know he never, he never dreamed of making the NBA. You know, that's, this, this is kind of what, uh, and so his attitude and his kind of, he's kind of shy, like, you know, maybe now that he's retired, he would joke around about being one of the greatest power forwards of all time. But when he was playing, it kind of made him uncomfortable when people said stuff like that. He, uh, you would love him. Uh, I was just out with him two nights ago. We had a couple of beers and, and uh, just talking about retirement and life and, I mean, we just laughed for two hours straight. I mean, he's as genuine as it gets. He's a great person, incredible father, and he's huge in the community and helps out with his foundation as much yeah. as he can. I mean, he just, he's the salt of the earth. It just doesn't get much better than him. I love it. Yeah. My, my, my wife travels for work and, uh, she went to Dallas when she came home and surprised me with a Dirk Jersey one year. And I was like, Oh, nice. I was like the grown man with the Jersey, but I didn't care. Cause I was like, this is my dude. And I'm probably, I'll, I'll end up framing it and put it in my, uh, my, uh, sports room. Cause I love that guy. Um, well, before you frame that. it, you gotta, you gotta send it to me so I can get it signed. Right. If you're going to frame it, we gotta get it signed. No. Sorry. I just 
I just passed out for a second there. <laughs> I mean, make, if that makes some things happen. Oh, baby. Yeah. Anyways, thanks for listening to Hoops Journey. <laughs> I have to go to the hospital and get my heart pumped. No, um, I'd like you to take some time and just talk about, you've mentioned the community a couple times. Um, I'm a, I'm a public school guy. I'm a Terry Fox guy. Never envisioned myself working at a Catholic school, let alone independent school. But one of the things that I think has been the best part being here is we're a school of service. I've had the opportunity to, you know, go to Peru three times. I've been to Kenya, um, building homes, helping people. And then not only worldwide, and that's not, I'm not pumping our, my tires, but just as a school going to the soup kitchens, you know, the story of, you know, the downtown East side here and, you know, the, the, the drug problem and just seeing our kids get involved in new Westminster, they, they go, you know, they feed people, they help, we donate. And I think, you know, when you get yourself in a platform, whether it's with the Dallas Mavericks or the St. Thomas More Knights, you have to take advantage and, and make other people's lives better. So talk about a few of the the things that you're involved in or some things that have really meant a lot to you outside of the business world, because it sounds like you have a passion for it. And I'd love to hear more. For sure. So, you know, uh, I've always have. And when I, I was the president of the Equipment Managers Association for, for quite a few years, and we started a foundation and we worked directly, kind of where how I really got into it, we, we worked directly with St. Jude. Um, I took a visit to um, St. Jude when we were in uh, playing Memphis one day, and I just went there with, a, with another co-worker. We had some time in the afternoon to kill. And Gave it, got a tour of the hospital and what they do. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but just get children with cancer and, and there's, they don't, the families don't receive one bill. They don't pay for anything. It's all through donations. It's incredible. They're world leader in, in uh, cancer research, et cetera, et cetera. Just an amazing, amazing place. And it literally changed my life. And, you know, I have two daughters and I can't even imagine what those families are going through. So it started with that. And then the next thing we went to Memphis, I organized the Mavericks to, to, uh, to go on a, on a hospital visit and see the kids and just put us, you know, and serve them a dinner or color with them or whatever, what have you. And so we raised money through the equipment managers association. I think us alone, I think by the time, uh, over the couple of years that I was president, I think we, we raised over $75,000 for St. Jude the trainers do something with them as well. And that kind of how it, how it all started, but the Mavericks in general and as a whole are out in the community all the time. It's, uh, it's, it's literally one of Mark's number one focuses is to take care of the community. Um, from a legends perspective, the Texas legends, our G league team, we are out in the community. We, we play in an area called Frisco, which is 20 minutes North of Dallas. And we do team hospital visits all the time. Uh, we go to soup kitchens, we pack meals, uh, make appearances. We're doing whatever we can to impact the community. Cause like you said, we do have a platform and by not doing anything, we're not, a, obviously it's, it's a lost opportunity and we're wasting it. So anytime we can get out in the community, Mavericks, legends, whoever we're out there and, and especially right now, right. Our community all over the world, but specifically speaking, cause I'm in the Dallas market is, is hurting right? For, for many reasons. Yeah. Right. The, you know, the pandemic, social injustice, all this stuff. And so what can we do to help, right? What can we do? Um, and there are many things we can do, but what can we do to hear the community, hear their crying, crying out for help and how we can help them. And it's important. And, um, so it's, it's been important to me and my, my, my wife volunteers all the time. 
uh, at certain charities and stuff. And we just wanted to bring our kids into that type of thing of, of helping out where you can. Right. And so it's always been an important part. Yeah. And it, you know, the thing that, um, good on you. That's amazing. But the thing that I always take away is, you know, you, you sit down with some of the people that you get the chance to meet that are, you know, falling on some harder times. And it's like, we're all just kind of one or two bad decisions or one or two bad things away. Like these people aren't bad people, you know, because exactly. they get, you know, into drug addiction or maybe they can't afford to pay a rent, whatever it is that they, that there's hard on them. We're, it, we're all there, right? Like For we sure. have to be, you know, and, and I think they're human too. And, and, um, it's awesome that the Mavericks and yourself have a passion for that. I think that's that's great stuff. So good on you guys for doing that. Oh, you bet. Um, before we talk about your new role, just yeah. uh, talk about how it felt or when did it hit you that you were an NBA champion? Wow. Um, talk about goosebumps like and full circle to think yeah. – you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll go to SMU and win a high school championship, or I'll go play <laughs> CAU sports, or play for at SFU, and maybe we'll win a national title. It's like you're an NBA champion, and what a magical year that was! And talk about just how that how that feels. It, it was um, it was incredible. I mean, it's the, the pinnacle that you reach the mountaintop, um, especially after 2006, where we played Miami in the finals and we're up to nothing and kind of fell apart and lost. That was, um, lost four straight. That was devastating. Um, but in retrospect, when you look back on it, something like that needs to happen, right? You got to take your lumps and your bruises in order to, to, to reach the mountaintop. And we did in 2006, we did in 2007, where we were the best team in the league. We started out 0 and 4 and ended the season 67 and 15 and we're the number one seed. And then Golden State knocked us out in the first round as the eighth seed. Those were two really tough years. And you don't ever know if you're going to get back. There's nothing guaranteed in pro sports and injuries. You got to be lucky. You know, all the things that you can take into account. But you, there's no guarantee you're ever going to get back there. So fast forward to 2011, we just had this incredible group of guys. The chemistry was off the charts, which is so critical in building a championship team. The guys that got a, you know, they don't have to be best friends, but when you get a, when you get a group of guys that enjoy playing together and enjoy hanging out off the court, you, you know, you got, you, you potentially could have something magical. And that year was definitely one of those years. Um, you know, we, uh, of course it's the Miami heat again with, uh, LeBron and Chris Bosch and joining D Wade. So it was, uh, I think the cards were stacked against us. Um, I don't think anybody really gave us a, a legitimate chance, but when you got guys like Jason Kidd, obviously Dirk is Dirk, Tyson Chandler, Jason Terry, incredible role players like Deshaun Stevenson. I mean, you just, you know, you got a chance. And, um, you know, the, the, the crazy thing about that series, when you talk about the emotion is so the uh, day of game one, we're at shoot around and my mom is calling me. And I missed a couple of calls. So I'm running around doing stuff. And I'm like, wow, she knows that right now I'm usually occupied. Something's up. And so I answer the call and I run into off the court into the locker room. And she tells me, hey, I just want to let you know, you know, my grandfather passed away hmm. the morning of game one. And I was, you know, he, I was extremely close to him. He was like a second father. And 
it, it you know it, it definitely hurt a little bit but trying to be in the in the moment and it's you know not it's not about me it's about the team and and, and we got business to attend to i tried to you know go about my daily stuff and end up losing that game game one and it was kind of like oh no they're not going to do this to us again you know like oh six down 15 in game two um with you know six minutes left i think and just go on this magical run and end up winning that game it was it was an incredible game i I go back and watch it all the time and um you know it's one one and we go back and forth and anyway moving to game six my my wife comes down to miami i got a couple of my best friends are there simon ibel's there uh rest his soul i love that guy um he comes down with another one of my best friends from toronto and and uh and we go we go into it and i remember going to the game going man we we could be world champions tonight. Like it's just such a weird feeling. Everything goes well and, and we end up winning. And I, the thing I remember the most was a, I thought about my grandfather cause he always told me to chase my dreams. Um, the second thing I thought about was just how incredibly happy I was for Dirk. All the, the sacrifice, the long hours, the blood, the sweat, definitely tears all finally paid off. And he's now going to get, and he's not a recognition guy at all, but he's now going to get the recognition that he so rightfully deserves. The Jason yeah. kids, the Jason Terry, everybody. Um, and then it was a little bit, then it turned a little bittersweet for me because I always envisioned that Steve would be there with us and we'd all win it together. I mean, and when I say we, I, I have the smallest, I don't mean like I was a part of it. You know what I'm saying? A very, yeah. very small piece, but yeah. just that Steve would be there too. And so it turned, it was a little bit bittersweet. Um, but it's an incredible moment. I, uh, I tell everybody that works in the NBA professional sports that puts the hours and the dedication to their craft in. I wish everybody could experience it at least once because it's, it is magical. It really is. Oh, I love it. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. That. You bet. Yeah. And like Dirk, just like, you know, kind of the most maybe unconventional sort of, you know, people questioned his game as a seven footer and like, he really changed that position, I believe for the future right like the way that he played the game he changed it and um for him to get on top of the mountain was pretty pretty special for sure and that's amazing man and i love that you feel like you're just a part of that and like no one ever is going to listen to that and say well you didn't play it's like if you've been in a locker room you know how many pieces it takes to to be successful for sure very small part but you're but you're a part regardless right everybody everybody uh you know came to work every day and, and for the, for the seven or eight months it took up to that point. And so yeah. it was uh, extreme happiness for everybody involved because uh, you know, everybody had sacrificed to get to that point. So it was pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, totally appreciate your time and, and we'll just keep you a little bit longer and send you on your way. Cause this is, I, this no is problem. great stuff. Talk about your new role. Talk about um, what you're doing. You know, I know a little bit, but for maybe for the listeners that don't and um you know, you've touched on working with Mark a little bit. I call him Mark. Like, I know him. That's the best part about the podcast yeah. is like, yeah, tell us about <laughs> Mark there, you know? <laughs> yeah, your, your buddy. Just, uh, you know, what, yeah, what you're doing and, and um, how it's going and, and kind of what you've fallen back on from your past experience. You've talked about that a little bit, you know, those mental and physical notes that you've taken. But um, how are you taking the new role on and how's it going and, and where do you see yourself going from here? For sure. So, uh, you know, I love the new role. I kind of have a dual role. My Mavericks quote unquote title is special assistant to our owner, Mark Cuban. 
and then I'm the vice president of basketball operations for our G League team, the Texas Legends. So I work between both teams. I'm kind of like the, you know, the bridge that gaps the two teams together. Um, I travel with both teams, but my main focus um, is on the development of our young players and, and and our G League team. Uh, so now we have two way players. We have, we can assign players, which are, you know, usually first round picks to go play in our, in our G league team. So my job is to develop them and hopefully, you know, and try and find a diamond in the rough, an undrafted player that, uh, that makes the Mavericks roster at some point. And, um, you know, that's, that's the goal. So scouting and just running the entire, you know, the, it's like a general manager role for our G league team. So it's, it's been interesting. It's a dream come true. I love every minute of it. It's a ton of learning. Um, and that's what it, you know, that's what it's all about. And so over COVID we're now getting, you know, the Mavericks, we're getting ready for the draft. We're doing, you know, getting ready for free agency. And so I'm a part of, you know, I'm in the green room on draft night. I'm now in the, in the front office, but I oversee the, the G league team. So it's, uh, it's been incredible. Uh, I've got a lot to learn, but, uh, the last two years, I'm going into my third year. I've learned a lot, and um, and I'm excited for the future. That's cool. Did you do you play a lot of fantasy sports? It's like real life fantasy now. <laughs> it is. You know, I do. I, I dabbled in uh, NFL a little bit, but uh, not much. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I, this is my first year not doing it, and I must say, I'm finding it way more enjoyable because I get to actually watch sure. the game as opposed to you know. So I believe it. Yeah. No. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, before we let you go, are you, you good to answer some more important life questions and put you on Absolutely. the spot a little bit? Okay. Whatever you need. I got you. Cool. You are going to get the kids from school, but you get a little hungry on the drive and you pull up to the corner store. What bag of chips are you grabbing? If I was in Canada, it would probably be ketchup. That's I'm not going to lie. Um, but I'm probably getting sour cream and, uh, cheddar. Ooh, like ruffles, ruffles. There you go. Yeah. You know, as a kid growing up in Canada, I used to love, I don't think they make them anymore. Orion's. Do you remember oh, that? Yeah. Yeah. I remember Orion's. Yeah. Yeah. Back thick and like, yeah, they were crazy. <laughs> They've got, uh, <laughs> Well, you send the you send the Dirk jersey. We'll uh, we'll ship you some ketchup Doritos. They have ketchup Doritos up here now. You're kidding me. My daughters no. would go every time we go. We come back home. My daughters yeah. are like because they don't sell ketchup chips down here for whatever reason. I'm like you yeah. can get anything down here. You can't get ketchup chips. So um, they love it. So my mom sends them all the time. Uh, a little you know from Calgary. Yeah. Sounds like a fair swap to me. Hey, Corbs. Not bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's do it. I'm in. Oh. Uh, by weight, the shipping will probably be more for the ketchup chips anyways. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That evens out. Um, who's, uh, who's been the most important person in your life or people? No one, no one can usually pick one, but. Oh man. I mean, I've had so many of my parents for sure for laying the foundation. Um, mm-hmm. you know, guys like, you know, my group of friends, I mean, I've got an incredible support system that I wouldn't be where I'm at today without them. Um, you know, Mark, um, but I think probably right now and, and forever, you know, my most important person is my wife, uh, Priscilla, if, you know, without her, uh, navigating through professional sports and trying to raise a family and all the things that are incorporated in that, 
it's an impossible task and she is the best and a trooper and uh i owe a lot to her because um you know it's not it's not easy when you're when your spouse or husband travels for a living um and is gone all the time it's almost like you're a single parent a lot of the time so so she uh she gets extra extra brownie points for for the role she's played in in our family success awesome i uh i like to let people tell their story but if you didn't start to go towards your wife i would have channeled you into that but you came up oh, yeah that I, know, I need it sometimes you. i appreciate that yeah yeah <laughs> we're looking out yeah. for you yeah yeah we got you i need it i need it for sure. um who in your mind is the greatest basketball player of all time michael jordan that's it eh Michael Jordan, hands down. That's I it. just, when you, when you get to the final six times and you're six for six, um, you know, if he hadn't quote unquote retired, he probably would have got eight in a row. He just, mm-hmm. when you look at that, um, in this day and age with touch fouls and no hand checking, I mean, he probably mm-hmm. would have averaged 40. Um, yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I, I know I, I don't get into the LeBron and the Michael Jordan conversation. LeBron's amazing. He's an incredible athlete and, and what he's done on the basketball floor is amazing. Um, you know, if he gets another ring this year, then he's definitely legitimately in that conversation as the greatest of all time. But for me, it's, it's Michael Jordan. Yeah. Good stuff. I agree. Yeah. Who was your, is that who you liked? Is that who you followed growing up or was there someone else that was your favorite player? No, it was, it was MJ. Yeah. It was yeah. MJ and, and Gretzky. I just, yeah. I love those two guys. Just, the epitome of winning Gretzky's creativity, Michael's killer instinct and just competitiveness. And, um, I've got both their jerseys in my game room and down, you know, down here autographed nice. jerseys, one Gretzky, one Jordan, just those, those were my two. Yeah. You got the Gretzky Oilers. I got the Gretzky Oilers. Yeah. yeah. Blue or white? Blue. Oh, that's dirty. I love it. Oh, it's, it is nice. Yeah. It's a prized possession. That guy was filthy. Um, oh. You uh, you get to go to practice one day. You pop in there. The boys are getting ready, and they say, uh, "Wits, you get control of the music today." What are what's spinning on the Spotify, like or the Apple Music? What what are we going to? So I'm a I'm a big Canadian guy, so I'm definitely I'm definitely rolling Drake for sure. Oh. Is that good or bad? In my world, yeah, not so bad. good. Yeah, okay. 15, so I'm not rolling. Fifteen Drake. year old fifteen year olds that I coach yeah. and teach. Yeah, they're on board. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say, so Aaron shows up to practice, we're gonna spin something else. But I, yeah. I honestly I listen to almost anything. But I'm a yeah, I'm a huge supporter of Canadian artists and uh he's popular down here for sure. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um country even i mean you live in texas country must be country's kind of, the kind of only one i have yeah i just I, I i i've listened to it but i'm not i don't i can't get into it yeah i just uh we're not even going to audio the applause i just gave you an applause thank you, the, thank you. a year ago a year yeah. ago i went and saw brian adams at a casino about Oof. an hour and a half from my house yeah it was uh nah. brought back a lot of memories it was a pretty great show actually i was pretty uh, yeah hey pretty excited to go yeah we have um, we have a guitar building class here at our school. A guy, the kids get to build a guitar for, literally from scratch, and he plays. And oh wow! He's yeah, he sold like four of his guitars to uh, to Brian Adams or made four for him. So it's pretty cool. No way! Yeah. That is really yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just a couple more questions. Um, super sure. important one. 
Super important one here, though. What are your thoughts about ketchup on macaroni? <laughs> uh, I can't lie. I, I haven't done it in about 30 years, but I think growing up as a kid, I used to put ketchup on my Kraft mac and cheese. I'm almost positive I did. Now, I haven't yeah. done it in about, it's been a long time. Yeah. So like today, you, you, no. yeah, today I'm not doing it. But when I was a kid growing up, I think I did, I did squirt a little ketchup on there. <laughs> yeah. So basically like when your voice started changing and started talking like this, you were like, wow, yeah. I need to get, get over the ketchup on the macaroni thing. Yeah, right? It's got to go. It's yeah. got to go. Yeah. Like Zimmerman so. is filthy. The guy, the guy, I swear if he could take a ketchup bath, like, you know, uh, really? Stoudemire would take the wine baths, like Dom, oh, he yeah. would literally bathe in ketchup. It's disgusting how much ketchup he that guy He loves the eats. ketchup that much, eh? Yeah. It's gross. Sorry, yeah. 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 I don't, I like it. I don't love it. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Appreciate that. Thank you for, thank you. Yeah. I gotta be honest. Yeah. 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 Um, he also said Detlef shrimp was his favorite player of all time. So (laughs) he's a German, he's a German through and through, right? German. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) Last question. This is so good and, and totally respectful and appreciative of your time and know you're a busy man. So, um, if you could do it all again, you would. Would I change anything? Is that what the question know, if is? You could, if you could do it all again, you would. I would. I wouldn't change a thing. I uh, I've enjoyed the journey, uh, the ups, and of course the downs. I've you know I've tried to learn from all the downs and mistakes I would have made. I think I've grown as a person uh, mm-hmm. through them. And you know, would I like to have been in the front office maybe five or ten years ago? Maybe sure, but I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't be the person I am and, and in the position I am if I if I didn't go through and have the experience that I had. So, well, I wouldn't yeah. change a thing. Uh, it's been a heck of a ride. And, um, you know, I hope, hopefully it keeps going for, for a long, long time. Fantastic. We really appreciate you sharing your story before you go. I don't know if you have any other shout outs or anybody on the island who might uh, listen to this thing. Or uh, if not, then, um, you know, once again, I think the great part about this is basketball can shape us in so many different ways and it takes us so many different paths and your path is so cool. And, uh, we're so thankful that you were able to sit down and, and talk with us. So thanks again. Well, I appreciate you guys. Thank you very much for, for having me. And, um, you know, it, it's been a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, shout out to our sponsors, Parkside Brewery and Good Lad Clothing. Um, Al Whitley, what a guy. Too bad we won't uh, get to go down and do a Sonics roadie anytime soon, but you never know. Maybe one day they'll be back and you can fly in when you're uh, GM of the Mavs yourself, right? There you go. Keep your fingers crossed. (laughs) I hope that happens. I love Seattle. (laughs) Cheers, buddy. Stay safe down there thinking of you and, and be well. Thanks for joining us, and we will see our listeners on the next episode. 